This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. player on the team for me is Belly, and it's the way he delivers them for real. It's like when he delivers his jokes, there's no laugh, and you really can't even tell if he's serious tonight. Yes, we deserve this win, man. Fox Force 5, flying high in both Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling great, man. I'm feeling the best I've ever felt. I'm excited. I'm, I'm all about winning. I know that the fans here are extremely loyal and passionate. And just like them, I, I want to become not just a playoff team, but a sustained playoff team and eventually get back to some of that championship success and contention. With the 12th pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, Sacramento Kings select Tyrese Halliburton. Imagine being one of those players that's on a team that you know hasn't been in the playoffs in over a decade, almost two decades, about a decade and a half, and then being the first team that actually gets to the playoffs. Just being able to be a part of that would definitely be something special. And if we can, you know, end up building a championship contending team, you're winning a championship in Sacramento like that. Since that's looked at a lot differently. You probably feel better than you do with anything else. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast. My name is Brendan Nunez. We're presented by the King's Herald. And today we got Bryant West on here, as is becoming the usual. I say that every time. I think this is the usual now. Um, how you doing, Bryant? Spend a month. Spend a month. You can't wow. get on me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm very zen, Brendan. I'm very zen. This is zen season. As you have been. Um, yeah. Yeah, as I have been. Um, the most important thing for this season was always development of players, uh, and even in a uh, otherwise disastrous 13-point loss to the Bucks, uh, where it honestly felt like they were down 17 the entire game and never really made any headway. Uh, there were some clear developmental signs, um, some real promise for a couple of Kings, and uh, that's all I need out of this season to uh, get me through the 15th straight no playoff appearance for the Sacramento Kings. So I'm doing just fine, and I hope uh, the rest of the Kings fandom can join me on this Zen bandwagon. Yeah, I uh, this is seven losses in a row, and let me tell you, anybody that is making the excuse of injuries, you need to stop it because half of the reason that Sacramento went on their win streak was the other team having injuries. Injuries are extremely common this year, especially, you know, well, I guess people sitting out because there's a lot of COVID protocol issues with contract contact tracing, some players even catching it and things like this. So I think anybody that's using injuries as an excuse right now um, is 
probably a little bit of a reach, and you realize the rest of the league is being very affected by that as as well this year. Um, you know, the teams that are in Sacramento's range, most of them have the exact same issue throughout most of the year, actually. Sure. Sacramento's been one of the more healthy teams this year. So while it is definitely a big factor in them losing these games, you know, no Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, two of the least replaceable guys on the roster as currently constructed, um, definitely does hurt, especially when, you know, defense is the issue. And those are two of your only four Five maybe good defenders on the roster? Yeah, I would say four. Probably not something I actually want to count. It's going to be pretty depressing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I just to get that out there, I, I don't think that anyone can really use injuries as an excuse. And, yeah, the, the, I guess the um, positives to hold on to, um, Daquan Jeffrey, since the last time we talked, had that one game of 5-5 five of five from deep, was absolutely on fire. And I think his shooting stroke actually looks pretty promising right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I'm really glad to see him back out, out there on the floor. Um I I think he out. was great tonight. I thought Daquan Jeffries was a real bright spot from this game. Um, I mean, he was only thir- uh, 5 of 13 from the field, but 18 points, 6 rebounds, 2 assists, uh, 6 of 7 from the line. Some real solid defense, as solid as anybody could have on Chris Middleton, who had 32 points tonight. Um, I mean, Daquan Jeffries, 40 minutes. That's a big one. Uh, apparently, Luke Walton's been reading my Twitter timeline where I just keep saying, give Daquan Jeffries all the minutes because uh, he led the team in minutes tonight. So, um, you know, it's great to see Daquan Jeffries be the um, solid contributor that we really need out of this team. I really hope that as the year goes on, even if Harrison Barnes comes back, Daquan Jeffries is one of the first guys off this bench because he really deserves it. Uh, and, you know, I'd never want to see him get another DNP coach's decision again. Certainly if Glenn Robinson plays in that game, I will throw a fit. Hey, I will throw yeah. a fit if that happens. Um, yeah, you know, honestly, you're surprising me with some of these numbers you're throwing out from tonight because I could not care about this game, to be honest. Hey. So checked out. Um, you know, usually I try to stay, like, pretty locked in, try to really understand the flow of the game going on and everything. Um, I kind of tweeted about it. My dog definitely knows when the Kings are playing and decides that's when she needs attention. And recently I have not cared to give it to her. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely didn't pay the most attention in this back, back-to-back against Milwaukee with no Harrison Barnes. I kind of wrote it off uh, pretty early. I, I watched the beginning to make sure that they were going to fall down and then, you know, was checking in. And I had it on, but I just wasn't, like, locked into it. Um, and, and definitely, you know, saw at the beginning some impressive play from Marvin Bagley that we also saw in um, in Chicago as well. Yeah, on the last two games, Marvin Bagley has probably been the Kings' first or second best player, honestly, uh, depending on how you want to take Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Bagley wasn't dynamic as a scorer tonight, 12 points, 5 of 12 shooting, uh, but the flow that he was in to begin that game was just exceptional. That skyhook over Giannis was exceptional. Uh, he had a whole bunch of very solid defensive moments against Giannis where he was really keeping his feet set, just letting Giannis come at him. Um, and then the refs just decided that, no, we're not going to let this continue. Uh, Marvin Bagley had, I think, three fouls in the first like eight minutes of this game and one of them was legitimate, but two of them were just nonsense star calls 
Um, and, you know, you never want to use refing as an excuse. This team is not good enough to just wave your hands and say, ah, oh, the refs cost in this game. And like, that's just a fallacy. But uh, the refs absolutely cost us what could have been an excellent Marvin Bagley game because uh, by the time he came back in, the rhythm was less good. And uh, and the Kings had already were down big at that point. So uh, applause to Marvin Bagley because that level of defense was uh, exceptional to see. Uh, I think since the last time I was on, um, you know, was the game against the 76ers when he was very solid against Joel Embiid. Um, one thing I did notice in the last two games, Luke Walton really has just decided that Marvin Bagley at center minutes are fine. And I know that, you know, some of that has to do with Rashawn Holmes has been out. Hassan um, Whiteside only played eight minutes tonight, which says something. But there was a point yesterday in the Chicago game where it was Marvin Bagley and Fox, Buddy, Tyrese Halliburton, and Kojo. That's four point guards and Marvin Bagley. So that's pretty impressive. Kojo's just a Swiss Army knife that does everything. to play every <laughs> position, does, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah, but there was – there was one play tonight that just was the most Kojo moment of the game. Um, Darren Fox threw the ball to him, and he had the easiest skip pass to a wide-open Daquan Jeffries in the corner, and he just decides, nope, I'm going to drive the ball and chuck it to a buck. Just, just I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't deal with these Daquan Jeffries. I mean, these uh, Kojo minutes anymore. We're all over it. I think, I think I can't find anyone that is really, like, happy with Kojo minutes. You know, some people are like, whatever, this is what it is, but I can't find a single person happy with it, let me tell you. Um, yeah, so I, I think the improvement from Bagley is is definitely interesting and very promising. Um, you've preached patience a lot and definitely got me on board. You know, I think he was a guy that was going to take three years, and we're only about year two. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, the improvements we're seeing right now, if if this was his... Um, sophomore season I I think would be really encouraging and I think that because of the gap year that there kind of was um, where he played 13 games last season it makes people a bit more hesitant myself included and and, you know he was genuinely bad for a while yeah Um, but there were flashes and I think being more consistent with that obviously um, and picking spots well on the offensive end of the floor I can't remember the last time he really just like faced up and threw up some not great look after you know one dribble or it it seems like he's a little bit more um, reactionary to defenses rather than going in there knowing this is the exact move I'm going to do no matter what yeah he's still left-hand dominant but uh, there were a couple plays in the Bulls game where he purposely took shots with his right hand so that was good to see Um, yeah he had a right finish through contact yeah they blew my mind he went at Wendell Carter which is just great to see because, I mean, Wendell Carter was always the physical uh, kind of big man who was kind of an opposite of Marvin Bagley's, I'm going to beat you by being faster and more athletic than you. But he went right at him. That was really good to see. Um, so, you know, really promising last two games for Marvin Bagley. Um, I'll point out Tyrese Halliburton had 35 minutes tonight, had 23 points, eight assists, five rebounds. Three of six from deep. That was an excellent game for Tyrese Halliburton. It doesn't matter if the Kings are down big. He's still going to go out there and give his all. So, um, you know, I hate to keep coming back to this silver lining, but there's real promising developmental moments for this team, and that's all we need. 
that's all I need at least. Definitely. One critique I will say, um, because part of the success during that stretch of, what was it, seven of eight games, I believe, um, was De'Aaron Fox playing absolutely out of his mind. Um, and it seemed like it was more of a mentality thing where he was, you know, saying, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to get 30 and eight every single night because he can do that whenever he wants. Um, and recently, since the team has kind of started uh, shitting the bed, he, his what I'll call give-a-shit meter seems very down. Um, him And we saw this earlier in the year. You know, I, I think to at the very start, there were those games against Phoenix and Denver um, where everybody looked really locked in, and then quickly things went downhill. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, Fox and Barnes, uh, and we'll just, I guess, stick to Fox right now. It's like Fox is so flat-footed on defense, and he's a little more upright even when he's guarding point of attack. And I, I get the feeling um, that Fox really just feels and, and gets down when the rest of the team as a whole is playing like shit and kind of yeah. lowers his level of play with them. That's absolutely the truth. Um Honestly, he looks to me like a guy who really needs a week off. So, um, you know, as much as we kind of hope that his that he earned a, an all-star spot from his play earlier in the season, um, you know, this, these last couple of games, he's definitely not been uh, the De'Aaron Fox he was in that big run there for a while. Um, and, you know, all of that criticism is fair when you're the $168 million man you you don't get to have too many excuses when it comes to your motor and your give a shit meter. But I mean, he looks tired. Um, this is clearly, he's clearly a dude who thrives when the team is going. Um, and you know, the real growth for him in the future is going to be on a night to night basis, being the dude who can will this team back into success. Now when the team is, is, um, you know, they are injured. They are trying to scramble through a bunch of lineups that uh, Luke Walton hasn't played so far this season. And their team in the last seven games of this loss streak, aside from the Philadelphia game, which was pretty close throughout, uh, they've been a team that, you know, when they get down, they really aren't able to fight back. Um, and, you know, some of the criticism has to be on De'Aaron Fox. You've got to be the guy that brings them back. But at the same time, like you said, he's a dude who really feeds on the biorhythm of this team, and when the rest of the team's just not feeling it, it, it definitely seems like uh, De'Aaron Fox is not feeling it either. Yeah, to your point of also potentially just tiring out a little bit, um, I mean, he's playing the part of another plus that led to that good stretch was it was like a seven, eight man rotation. Um, and Fox was seeing 38, 35, 38, 38, 39 minutes. Um, so he was getting played a ridiculous amount. Um, and yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the money he's getting paid, I mean, is kind of expected somewhat. Um, but I, I think that, you know, when he does get, I, I don't worry about this long term, but I think it is something that's interesting right now is just kind of a, a note of how Fox um, seems to be at this point and maybe carry himself. Like, I think he very much senses the moment and you, that's why you see him step, step up in clutch situations in big games. But I think it also goes the other direction. Um, senses when, you know, this is the, the team is in a very poor spot um, mm-hmm. and kind of comes down a little bit with that. So, 
There's also, you know, the aspect of maybe he has some lingering um, slight injury yeah. because there seems to be a lack of aggression. Doug Christie pointed it out on the broadcast tonight that Darren Fox just doesn't look right. So, yeah. Wonder so, if there's some truth to that. Yeah, definitely not trying to like come at Fox, which I, I guess I kind of did. Um, but it, it's not long term concerning. I think it's just yeah. something to note. Now, you know, I, I said this during De'Aaron Fox's big streak. What Fox did in that 7-1 seven, seven, win streak proved to me that when this team is actually well-constructed and has more than uh, six NBA players, that it's clear to me that he can be a guy. Um, but, like, he's got to know that this team's not that good. I think it's really dawning on that team, on this team during the seven-game loss streak that, you know, we, we really fought hard there for a while. We were really promising, but this is a roller coaster season. Um, the offense has come back to earth. The defense has struggled again. And and as the Kings lose more, you know, Rashawn Holmes being gone was a big detriment to the defense. Um, Harrison Barnes being out is a big detriment to the both ends of the court. And when the Kings have any weakness at all, it just really accentuates that this isn't a deep, real NBA team yet. So he's got to know that. I'm sure that that has to weigh on him. So there's no excuse. He's a $168 million max player. So effort is one thing. But, like, we, this team's not that good. What's more to say? Yeah. And you know who would be beneficial to play in the long term? Hey. But also, I am saying, would help the team win right now, in my mind, is Robert Woodard. I am so in on Robert Woodard, I cannot tell you. I think right now he steps onto the roster. I'm, like, so hot takey with him right now. I think he walks onto the roster right now as, like, 7th, 8th best player. Which sounds and crazy, but, like, actually the Kings roster falls off really hard. Yeah. So. Anybody who watched the Kings tonight has to know that we're not that deep. And could really use another... I mean, it's it's really nice that um, Jabari Parker got some minutes in the last two games. Good for him. But uh, you cannot tell me that the Kings wouldn't be better off with Robert Woodard getting those minutes over Jabari Parker. Come on. Yeah. Um, but as the resident Kings Herald G League expert, um, if anybody missed uh, Brendan's Robert Woodard film breakdown this morning. I really encourage you to go check it out because if you want to believe in Robert Woodard's defense and uh, ability to impact this team, I mean, it'll sell you on it. Um, give us, give us some, give us some info on uh, how the Kings two G League guys are handling the what's it called the gobble. Yeah, the gobble. Apparently, you know, there was the the bubble, the NBA bubble. There was the wobble, the WNBA one, and this is the G League, the gobble. Apparently. Um, I'm, I'm sounding like a turkey over here on Twitter all the time. Um, yes, so obviously the Kings' issue right now is defense. You know, they're rolling out horrible defenders, um, and they have offensive engines. They have one offensive engine, I should say. Um, but they have other – yeah, they have other good complementary offensive players. They don't have very many smart defenders. Um, I think they have Tyrese Halliburton. I think they have Daquan Jeffries. And I think Harrison Barnes falls in that group as well. And um, Rashawn Holmes. Yes, yes, good point. Um, and I think Robert Woodard off ball is 
phenomenal. The rotations that he's making in the G League are absolutely amazing. He had three blocks in the game today. Um, Austin is seven and or five and two now, I believe. It might be six and two. Um, every single one of their wins has been by single digits. Um, he's in close games every single time, and he is the part of the reason, um, along with Trey Jones, Lucas Samanich, or the two other like stars of that G League team. Um, he has been very key in getting them wins, and I, I think off-ball rotations are something that are very translatable. Um, things are going to happen quicker at the next level, obviously, but I think just rotating and being in the right spot and getting these weak side blocks, he stepped in and, and took what ended up being a um, defensive a block at the very end of a game, but very close to being a charge. His heel was on the line of um, on the restricted area line. Um, he, he's constantly in the right spot on the defensive end of the floor. He's just not a guy that makes mistakes there. Um, I, I think that is something that is so translatable. Weak side rim protection doesn't really exist on this team. Like Rashawn Holmes is usually already kind of engaged in the play. Um, and weak side rim protection from a four does not exist on this team. Um, you know, that's a hope for Marvin Bagley. Um, but Harrison Barnes doesn't quite have that bounce to him or the length that Robert Woodard has with the 7-1 wingspan. Um, I think weak side rim protection would be so crucial for this team. Um, and, and then another aspect that I think is immediately translatable is every single time a shot goes up um, for his team, the Spurs, he is chasing after an offensive board. Like usually, except it didn't happen the last two games after I tweeted it, of course, I felt like you were good for one like really exciting putback slam from Robert Woodard every single game. Um, and right now he's averaging just under four offensive rebounds in the G League. Um, he brings down 10 total a night. Um, he is absolutely like you have to put a body on him, and even if you do, he's doing like that swim move to kind of work his way towards it. Plenty of times he's getting an offensive board when there's four people on the other team right there. I think that is just an energy thing that you're not going to be in the scouting port report right away for that. Um, the Kings already do a little bit of a gang rebounding style with their small lineups going on. I think that is another thing that's immediately translatable. And, and you know, often, like, you see Buddy Heald go after offensive rebounds, and Buddy Heald has really upped his rebounding, especially recently. Um, but a lot of times for Heald, he doesn't get it, and it just leaves him to not exist on the defensive end of the floor. Um, doesn't happen for Ward. Um, he's sprinting back every single play. Um, there's never a moment you just kind of see him standing there. And I think part of this is the Spurs um, moving the ball extremely well. Like he's in a good position where he's not asked to have the ball in his hands a lot because that's not the role that obviously he should be having. Trey Jones uh, is going to have the ball in his hands pretty much every single possession out there, um, as should be the case for both of those players. I think he's in a really ideal spot right now to showcase what he can bring to the NBA. And on the offensive end, um, you know, the three-point shot is concerning, for sure. Um, 23% from three right now on three attempts a game. Um, and, you know, if I was an NBA team, I would leave him open right now. I, I totally think you should. Um, but I, I think he's willing to pull it. The mid-range does look really good, sometimes even off the dribble. He has a really high release. Um, I, I do think the three-point shot comes around. I, I think he's willing to take it. Um, and, yeah, also he's going to make sure to still be impactful on that end. Um, he's going to make really smart cuts all the time. Like I said, there's never a moment he's just kind of standing there. 
Um, he can be the screener, and you're totally fine. Um, yeah, and for the shortcomings, again, I think that, you know, a three-point shot is going to need to come around um, at, at an okay rate, even, you know, one of these guys that does it at a below average clip, but really just gets up a decent volume of them just to kind of enough to garner respect of defenses. And then defensively um, on ball, I, I think there are some questions because he doesn't have great lateral quickness, but I don't think that he's a guy that just like gets cooked in ISO or anything like that. I don't think the defense is ever like, okay, let's ISO Robert Woodard. Um, maybe at the beginning of his career, you know, they'll try it a little bit, but I, I think he does fine in that. Like, I don't think he's horrible on ball defensively, and he's just so phenomenal off ball. Um, if you had him and Tyrese Halliburton like wrecking havoc off ball, I, it would, it would, I, it would make me watch every minute of every game <laughs> right now. Let me tell you. And yeah, I mean, I just think like with with the roster you have right now, Whiteside minutes should not exist. I Absolutely. think Bagley and Holmes can take all your five minutes. Um, yep. It, just to like find, you know, people are well, whose minutes are Woodard, Woodard taking? He, in a way, can take Whiteside minutes. I don't want any three guard lineups that involve Corey Joseph. It doesn't need to happen. And I don't want any Clint Robinson. It doesn't need to happen, especially with Woodard and Daquan Jeffries. Um, we've seen we've seen um, Jordan Nawara. We've seen um, man, I'm dropping these names right now. Malachi Flynn. Um, we just saw Nick Claxton. All these guys recalled from the G League. Um, to teams that a lot of times are, you know, dealing with a lot of injuries. But that's exactly where Sacramento's at right now. Yeah. Um, well, and somebody pointed out, like, you know, Orlando's kind of far from Sacramento. If he's just going to fly, he's got to figure out some way to get from uh, Orlando bubble to uh, Sacramento. But he could also just meet the team in New York this weekend. There you go. And, uh, this week. So uh, you had me sold as soon as you started talking about off-ball defense and rebounding effort because, I mean – Kings can never have enough high instinct off-ball defenders. Um, it doesn't matter to me if a rookie is immediately stellar as an on-ball defender. Um, this team can handle one more big guy who can't shoot because, I mean, Jabari Parker can apparently shoot, and what are we getting out of his minutes? So uh, I agree with you. There's it, it, it was good that he got sent to the G League bubble because – it gave him a lot of chance to really showcase what he can do, and it also gave us the ability to really show why we've been wanting him to get minutes all season. So just bring him back and give him 10, 15 minutes a game. That's all we ask for. Right. Obviously, I only want him brought back if he's going to play, but I think that he absolutely okay. should. Like I said, I, I mean, I get it being like a long-term thing, obviously, is very beneficial there, but I genuinely think it makes the team better right now. Um, if anybody watched the last seven games and says, no, we don't have time for any developmental players, I, I, I just I wonder what team you're watching. Yeah, and the whole expanding his game in the G League thing with Woodard kind of bothers me because, you know, I, I, it's unfair to place ceilings on guys, but to me he projects as a role player. Um, I don't see him... I don't know that reps of him creating off the dribble um, against, you know, lower level defenders or just powering through guys is like, I don't know how beneficial this is for him. He, he's posting up like four times a game. Um, and sure, you could do that sometimes. Like it, it's working on his touch 
you know, I guess you could say. But I think he's doing, working on aspects of his game that I personally don't see as really being a staple to his game in the NBA. And again, I, I feel a little weird saying this because I don't want to play ceilings on a, on a guy, obviously. <laughs> and like today, as I was developing this thought, he showed off a crazy dribble. Apparently, I was just gonna I was just gonna talk about that highlight you yeah. shared. But but at the same time, he's going downhill already, and and I think that if it's a situation like that, he still could see those opportunities in the NBA where it's already sort of advantageous and then he's capitalizing on it. There's no reason that, like, he should be running a pick and roll or getting, like, five post-ups a game to me. Like, I don't think that that really is helping expand his game. Yeah, I guess the the G League bubble's probably really helping him figure out uh, how to help be a help defender um, and how to handle on-ball defense at the same time. But if his shot's not falling and they're using him as a post-up guy. Like, I get what you're saying. Um, so he's clearly been developing in the J-League. The one other thing I'll say on okay, is that there was one game, not the latest, but the one before it, where he got really flustered at the beginning of the game. And Woodard's, like, always a guy that has a smile on his face the entire time. He's laughing. He's a very high-energy guy. Um, and... He had a really rough start to the game. I think he had a couple turnovers um, and got pulled from the game really quick, actually. And you saw him go to the bench and do exactly what you saw Bagley do uh, uh, this game, just smack a chair. And, you know, he actually sat away from his team for a couple minutes and I think kind of had to, you know, just calm down a little bit, which you love to see that energy. Not a bad thing at all. Um, yeah. But the rest of that game, like, he, he was – a little, he was more poor than usual, which maybe just could have been an off game. But part of me was like, okay, maybe this is a little bit of a confidence thing. And I will say, putting up numbers in the G League, getting all this praise, got to help your confidence. So I see that aspect, you know. But there was a glimpse yesterday where he started rough, seemed to get down on himself, and that kind of just snowballed a little bit. And then he did still make very big plays at the very end of the game. Um, so it's not like he just became a negative or anything. Um, but I that that did make me be like, okay, well, I, I very much could see like the confidence being an argument for keeping him there as well. Well, that's fair then. Um, but at the same time, G League Bubbles got, what, another week and a half? Two weeks. Mm-hmm. Should end on the – Spurs are good enough that they're probably going to make the uh, single elimination tournament, right? For so. sure. I think they're a top four team. Yeah. Well, are the Kings going to keep Robert Woodard down for two more weeks? This team could really use a uh, another defensive-minded uh, bolster at the three-four uh, spot. So yeah, and I think interesting. Could, I think he could make some plays at the NBA level to get his confidence up there. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely very much for bringing Woodard. Um, just presenting the other side. Um, yeah, and then. The more raw prospect, who is 600-plus days younger than Robert Woodard, oh my God. <laughs> Contractually obligated to mention his age every time he comes up in I have discussion. To. I have yeah. To. yeah, he's the seventh youngest player in the NBA. Did you know that, Brian? <laughs> no, I had no idea. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. Um, somebody on Twitter was like, I just don't get why you keep <laughs> mentioning that so much. I was like, well, it's definitely a joke. But also, like, there is a point to well, it. Yeah. It's a compounding thing like 
nobody says that being the seventh youngest player in the NBA guarantees that you're going to be something in a couple of years. But if you are a developing player, like it's a good thing to be young and be good at a young age. So, yeah. So what I want to say, very basic take there. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's good to be young. People need it. Yeah. Um, so what I want to get out with Ramsey, I obviously love his potential. Um, I think that, you know, while Robert Woodard is a P.J. Tucker type, I think oh, that... I love that take. I love it, too. I, I love Robert Woodard, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> I, it, I thought his game was on the same time as the Kings game today, and I was 100% watching <laughs> Robert Woodard. Um, <laughs> so, Jr. He, I'm only posting highlights, right? Because again, seventh youngest guy. I think right you're now not only, you focus you're not on only, flashes. You're not only doing highlights. You wrote a good piece summarizing uh, Jemias Ramsey's development and his strengths and weaknesses last week. So anybody who wants some more takes on this should go find that as well. There. Sorry. Just yeah. wanted to plug your own work. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And I think – but on, on Twitter, I'm pretty much posting highlights. Um, I, I'm posting the makes and I'm clipping the bad stuff, and, and that will come out. Um, but right now, I felt like it was fair to just post the highlights of Jemias Ramsey because I feel like that's what should be focused on. The same way with Bagley in his freshman year. It's like, okay, let's just focus on the flashes. I understand he's going to be rough most of the time because – and I think Jemias would agree with this, he's been bad. He's been bad. He, For example, today's game went to overtime. He sat at the 10-minute mark of the fourth quarter and never checked back into the game. And, I mean, I can't blame them. I, I You know, I, I wish he got more minutes, obviously. But I think Jemias is genuinely a negative most of the time he's out there. I think his decision-making is pretty poor. Um, but there's plenty of flashes. Like, the three-point shot isn't falling right now. Um, he's actually at 18. Listen, listen to these splits. 36% from the field, 18% from three. He's 100% from the free throw line. Um, but he throws up bad shots. Um, and, and he's a tough shot maker. You know, he, he's shown an ability to create space, which I think is really important and definitely something I highlighted in that piece. Um, every single one of his shots from from deep are, and it's probably not every single one, but it feels like damn near every single one, are missing short. They're, he's hitting the front of the rim. Um, and to me, seeing that you're missing the exact same way every time means that a slight fix is, is going to eventually come, and you'll be fine there. It's probably adjusting the NBA range. He also, you know, these guys haven't played basketball for a year plus before this. Um, so there's, there's multiple factors to that. Um, and, yeah, this is like what we saw with Fox, right? Almost most of Fox's misses were short. And Fox needed to, I think, uh, get a bit more legs under his jumper. Um, but, yes, JR is a ridiculous shooter. He's 43% from three on, I think, like five attempts a game at Texas Tech. I'm not worried about the shot. The shot's going to come around. Um, but I just want to say, like, people are, like, quote-tweeting the highlights and are like, this man needs to play over Buddy Heald. <laughs> and as frustrating as Buddy Heald is, JR would be so frustrating to the fan base as he is right now. Um, but there are promising flashes. I've really liked his finishing, um, and he's had some explosive dunks the last couple games. 
but he is very raw right now. I'm only posting highlights because I think we need to hold on to the flashes right now and not worry about, um, you know, poor decision-making that's going on or, you know, again, the, the roster is a lot worse than the Spurs. Um, like Amir Coffey, another guy that was recalled, stepping away from that team led to JR having the ball in his hands a lot more recently, and that's been really beneficial. But the team is really guard-heavy, which kind of doesn't allow him to have the ball in his hands, which is ideal for JR. And there's a lot of time standing in the corner. So most of his minutes are really rough. Like, I enjoy Robert Woodard's minutes 10 times more than Jamias Ramsey's right now. But Jamias Ramsey has a much higher ceiling than Robert Woodard. He has a creativeness to him that he's willing to try things um, that, you know, sometimes end up bad, but it it does lead to a higher potential ceiling. Um, Woodard is very fundamental, but he's not exactly creative, except for, you know, these random moves that he pulls out occasionally. Um, So, yeah, JR has a very interesting ceiling to me. Um, but I'm only posting highlights, and I don't want anybody to think that he could come to the NBA right now and be a positive contributor. Because um, as much as I love the guy, he's just not. I think just having a fundamental understanding of what these two G League rookies are, just that's all you need to know to see why we're calling for Robert Woodard to come back, because there's a clear role on this team. What he can do right now is something that this team needs. Jemias Ramsey coming back and taking those buddy healed moments is one of the worst ideas that I've heard from this season. It's like it, he's the kind of guy that should stay in the G League for as long as this process is going. Um, and if he comes back and you're force feeding him the ball, he's not the kind of guy that's going to excel through contact like that. Like, Robert Woodard will find success by being a high instinct defender and going for the rebounds. Javonis Ramsey doesn't need to miss 10 shots in the NBA to know what he needs to develop on. So, yeah. If I were to make lowlights of these guys, it would be hard for me to find the whole two minutes and 20 seconds of Woodard. Uh, It it genuinely would be hard to find that. Props to the Spurs organization for knowing how they need to use him in the G League bubble then. Yeah. For JR, I could make double the amount of clips that I do of his highlights, and that's totally fine. But I just want everybody to realize he's very raw right now, Um, totally fine. Obviously, I love the pick from McNair. It's an upside swing, and I, I think that was you know, a first kind of glimpse into his mindset with this team, and that's part of the reason I was so excited. And Yeah, I mean, the highlights show you the potential, and I think that's good to hold on to. That's the whole point um, and why I like the guy so much. But, yes, like he's he's not – you're exactly what you said. He should 100% be staying in the G League, and I I guess I was a little out of sorts when people are saying this guy needs to play 20 minutes a night in Sacramento. Um, And and part of it's because I I worry the the fan base would turn on him very quickly and not understand (laughs) that they need to wait. Yeah. The Kings fans, be impatient? What are you talking what? about? No. Yeah. No, this team is good right now. Yeah, Bradley Beal. Let's go straight for Bradley Beal. <laughs> so, you know, the main idea for this episode was to... The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. 
from big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Um, do a draft profile of Jalen Johnson, and I'm realizing that I ranted for a long time right there. Should we, should we push that off to the next one? Uh. We can if you'd like. Um, we can give a little no, brief I, I, synopsis. I think we can give a brief synopsis because, you know, um, Jalen Johnson's pretty much, as I was watching him and as I was trying to understand, because this is as complex a college basketball season as you could possibly get. And this is as complex a Duke team as I've ever seen in my dang life. I mean, they're 10 and 8 on the year. they got very little chance of making the NCAA tournament, although they beat the seventh-ranked Virginia Cavaliers yesterday, so uh, props on them. But when you're trying to understand Jalen Johnson, I mean, our buddy P.D. Webb, who was on the podcast with us about a month ago, um, said that the Duke team was really struggling. Coach K was struggling to figure out how to play his five best players. And it's very clear that Jalen Johnson's best role in college is as a four, which is exactly what Matthew Hurt, Duke's best player, is playing. So, like, Jalen Johnson's a guy that I'm going to have to go back and watch a shit ton of tape because he's a complex player with in a very messy situation. And he's not the kind of guy that you can immediately watch just two games of and be like, that's his role in the NBA. This is how he fits with these teams. Let's go. Um, to give yeah. listeners a general idea yeah. of Jalen Johnson as a player for idea. that doesn't know of him, um, he, like you're saying, freshman at Duke, he's 6'9", 220 is what I see listed here. He's one of these point forwards. Um, I think, you know, the reason you kind of say he's best as a power forward is similar to the reason Ben Simmons is best as a power forward. Um, a, a little bit of a questionable shot um, going on. He, he definitely is extremely impressive in the open court, um, makes phenomenal reads, even though, you know, more assists or more turnovers than assists this year. Um, love the reads that he makes there, but the second you get him in a half-court setting, it's like, okay, well, how is this guy going to create right now? Um, so what's his role going to be in a half court offense? I legitimately don't know. Um, you know, he played 13 games for Duke this season, uh, 11 points, six rebounds, 2.2 assists, uh, 1.2 blocks and 1.2 steals a game. Um, if you just look at his shooting numbers, they are deceptive. Like I, 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 I don't want to un- sugarcoat this because his shooting indicators are incredibly messy. Mm-hmm. Um, he shot 44% from three, but that's just eight makes and 18 attempts. Yep. Uh, free throw line's the same thing. Like he shot 63% from the line, but that's just 24 makes and 38 attempts. Um, one promising indicator is that per synergy, he's in the 99th percentile on catch and shoot shots, but that's only seven of 10, a ten a seven of 10. So, right. um, his shooting mechanics look a little different when it's on catch and shoot versus when he's trying to dribble 
and shoot off the bounds. Uh, off the bounds, he's just one of 11 on the season, and he's got this really weird fadeaway. So, you know, I, I don't want to sugarcoat this. His shooting is very uh, odd, and it's definitely going to be one of those guys you have to go back and consider his success in high school um, before you try to make these grand statements of, is he a shooter? Can he ever be a shooter? But you mentioned the Ben Simmons comp. Um, that's one that gets thrown around a lot um, because of his, you know, his six nine size and his positional role as a, you know, kind of a point forward. Um, I think the comparison ends there because, honestly, Ben Simmons is twice the athlete that uh, Jalen Johnson is. Um, Jalen's pretty fluid once he gets around the basket, but he's not an explosive guy either in the open court or verticality-wise. I mean, there were quite a few times where I was really questioning his ability to get by even college fours or fives on overplays. Um, So I'm not sure how he's going to get advantages against NBA fours. So it's not to take away from his role as kind of a secondary or tertiary initiator because, I mean, that's the most obvious reason to be high on his talent. Um, even when he was struggling to get consistent minutes over the last couple of weeks and this Duke team was really struggling to score, every once in a while he just showcases some damn impressive passing. And he doesn't really feel like he needs to be the scorer, so that's a good thing. But he definitely feels like a guy that is going to benefit from an immediate reduced role at the next level um, because of his, a lot of his individual creation ability instincts come down to let's get to the basket and I'm going to trust that the defense will collapse and give me a passing lane. Um, And the defense doesn't always do that, especially in the half court where they're really just kind of daring him to shoot. So I like some of the upside, assuming he's fine being a third initiator and a role player who guarantees, you know, that you'll always have a couple high instinct playmakers on the court. But I really don't think he's got the dribbling or creation upside to be this jumbo wing initiator which I'm afraid is what people think of when they hear the Ben Simmons comp. Definitely. Um, definitely with you. Um, mentioned Simmons kind of like as an idea of the guy positionally. Yeah. Um, and that's a very, very common one. and It's all over the Internet. So yeah. you're not the first person to have that one. Yeah, and, you know, I, I also think there is a lack of burst when it comes to a first step, um, like out of a triple threat. That makes me worry of, of um, you know, his creation potential there. Um, like you mentioned, Simmons being a way better athlete. I think that, uh, you know, he kind of struggles to get to the rim for a combination of a lack of handle, which, you know, could come around, um, although there's not much to work with right now, um, and also a, a lack of, like, a first step that just is going to put him by guys and on his hip and instantly. Um what do you make of him on the defensive end of the floor? Um, I think, you know, obviously he's kind of a, a big stocks guy, right? One, 1.2 steals, 1.2 blocks a game. I, I think you see some of that weak side rim protection. Um, but to me, the Kings need an on-ball defender. Like to most of their promising defenders to me, and I guess I'm mainly thinking of like Halliburton Fox, who are going to be on the floor for this team long term are off-ball defenders rather than on-ball, really where they're making a lot of their impact to me, Um, especially, you know, at their size. So there's a lot of big wings, and I think it would be very important for Sacramento to get an on-ball 
promising wing defender. Yeah, I agree with you that um, I'm I was much more impressed with his uh, off ball defense than his on ball defense. Um, he had some good instinctual moments where he really read the offensive player's pathway and had good steals off it. Um, and for a team that really needed backline rim protectors, he had some real solid help defense moments there. But like everything else in this game, uh, the, from what I saw, his defense was pretty inconsistent. Um, I saw him get beat by dudes that just had no business getting by him um, or leaving shooters open in half-hearted closeout attempts. Um I don't want to put too much stock into synergy defensive numbers because those things lie all the time, but they note that on the 27 possessions where they think an opponent shot a jump shot against him, uh, he allowed 1.3 points per possession, which is sixth percentile. So, um, And when Coach K tried to play him as a small ball five, I just really wasn't impressed with his physicality or his willingness to handle the demands of that role. Um and, and there were some games, like the UNC game, he was really getting – he had to guard Garrison Brooks the whole time uh, and Daquan Sharp a couple of times. A promising game where I kind of was like, all right, he's kind of putting it together on the defensive end against these bigs right now. Uh, he had a key block that almost led to uh, Duke coming back in that game. But, um, you know, he, he just – he seemed like a pretty inconsistent defender who wasn't really always engaged on that end, which is kind of a Duke flaw with 90% of Duke freshmen. Um, and, you know, he does seem like the kind of guy who can turn that around once he gets to the pros. People forget that Ben Simmons at LSU was just the laziest, didn't give a single fuck defender. Uh, and now he's the world-ending defender, except when he's guarding De'Aaron Fox, I guess. Um mm-hmm. So maybe Jalen Johnson has that kind of motivational turnaround at the NBA level and, you know, he lends with a team that can really give him the weight room and, and the tools to become a little more explosive and uh, figure out how he can stay in front of guys. Um, so he's just going to have less room for error than uh, I think you'd like out of an on-ball defender. Yeah, and, you know, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I definitely need to watch more film on him. Um, he's also getting a lot of critique right now for pulling out of Duke early. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of people, um, coming at him for that. And I wanted to, and I know you have some pretty strong feelings about that. Yeah. Well, to give listeners some insight, um, he left Duke this last week. Uh, he played in 13 games this season. He missed about a month with a foot injury, uh, came back, had a couple solid games, and then over the last three games that he had played, he really saw his minutes dwindle, uh, and then he decided that he the best thing for him was to pack it up and and train for the NBA draft elsewhere and, and really get his foot right. Um, and uh, there were a lot of really shitty, dumb takes on Twitter because of it. So here's the obvious point. The only person... Only people who should have any say about Jalen Johnson's career pathway to the NBA are Jalen and his family. Um, Duke hasn't been great this year, but that doesn't really matter much to me. I mean, even if Duke was 18-0 and and headed for a championship run, if Johnson or any college player believes that they're better prepared for their basketball future by leaving school and preparing with trainers, then I'm all for it. Um, As a fan of college basketball, the sport, uh, we should never forget that these kids are playing in a multi-billion dollar industry of which they get no direct money from. Uh, they get scholarship and college benefits and presumably good training for the NBA and the prestige of playing for famous college programs. Um, but they're not paid, and they're not in any contract to show up. 
So as a fan, I'm disappointed that I won't get to see Johnson be a part of Duke's attempt to avoid missing the tournament, but my opinion doesn't matter here. Um, certainly, I think it's fair if his teammates are left upset or disappointed. Uh, and I also think it's fair to note that this isn't the first time that Johnson has left a program early. Um, he was committed to play for IGM Academy in his senior year of high school, but he left that program before playing a single game, and he returned to his original high school in Wisconsin. Um, so I'm sure one of the first questions he'll get asked in pre-draft interviews is about these decisions, uh, and I don't really blame any GM for wanting to make sure that the potential first-round selection can remain dedicated to a program and a team, but these aren't questions that I have any possible way to answer, and neither do any of us sitting on the outside of the Duke locker room or outside of Johnson's family circle. So anyone lining up and saying that Johnson is a quitter is just fucking moronic to me. Um, too many college coaches and college analysts said this last week, and it's an absolutely trash take in my book. We don't know the context of just the basketball factors here, and we're still in a worldwide pandemic. So I will leave the motivation and personal questions to the NBA decision makers and just stick to analyzing Johnson on the basketball court, where I think he's complex enough of a player that we don't need to spend the time wondering if he's truly a motivated player. Love it. I think that was extremely well said. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm completely with you um, in that case. And just to get back to kind of the analysis of him, um, I only have six guys on my board, if we include Jalen Johnson. Um, but he is very last. And, you know, my list includes, and I guess I have an order, uh, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody, and then Jalen Johnson. Um, and let me tell you, there's a huge tear break when I get to Jalen Johnson. Um, yeah. From realizing of those players, I think I agree with you. Yeah, and from realizing the or from kind of taking poll of other people's boards, I kind of and, and knowing of the other prospects, but not comfortable enough to place them on a board. Um, I think that he's probably a teens sort of, and it's like early teens would be my very early guess for kind of my range for him? Yeah, um, I would think that's pretty that's pretty much where I expect I will end up having him. Um, I know that our buddy PD Webb is a fan. Um, he had a tweet the other night that said something to the effect of that he was dreaming of a uh, De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Zach Levine, Jalen Johnson, Rashawn Holmes lineup. So he's clearly a fan of the fit, assuming the Kings go and get another go-to score initiator to fit in that lineup. Um, and if the Kings drop into the team's um, 20s range, he's definitely a guy I wouldn't mind looking at because I get the offensive versatility of having another playmaker, uh, another guy who has some positive shooting indicators and is another, you know, high instinct kind of player. But, you know, I, I worry that how much of his game is really limited by that foot injury and a messy Duke offensive fit around him. But to sell myself on him as a guaranteed starter, you've got to really hope for a real shooting improvement and a big leap as a driver if he's ever going to threaten as an on-ball creator. So um, uh, I don't expect that I'm going to be the highest of the Kings fandom on Jalen Johnson, but um, he's going to be very much in that range of, well, we can see if this works. Definitely. I think if you are sitting in sort of the same spot you were last season, um, that for reasons you mentioned, and also, you know, he just very much 
very much fits um, the important position of small forward slash power forward wing that needs to be filled by the Sacramento roster in the long term. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely imagine him also being a guy that's higher on my Kings board compared to my actual big board. Um, but, yeah, I mean, high IQ guys, are I think, are something that uh, Sacramento is lacking. It's interesting. I mean, the roster is very high IQ players or, I guess, feel players. Um, and then very low field players. And there's hardly any that are kind of in the middle there. Um, But, yeah, I mean, add as many high field players as as you can, obviously. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, when we're talking about, you know, this draft altering the direction of the franchise long term, to you, and and we'll revisit this question, I think, when we watch more, obviously, is Jalen Johnson one of those guys when you think of this draft? Yeah. But honestly, to me, the the you know franchise altering guys are there's two right now for sure in my opinion, and maybe that expands as I watch more of Jonathan Kaminga and you know maybe Jalen Green, and if I can really sell myself on either Jalen Suggs or uh, Springer or um, you know I, I, that's all I can think of off the top of my head. Kuminga, but right now. Oh yeah, no, I said Kaminga. He's okay. definitely he's definitely a guy I think could be in that conversation. Um, maybe maybe Zaire Williams, but like mm-hmm. then we're kind of getting into where I think I will have Jalen Johnson on my board. Right now, I think the, if the Kings want to make a drastic, this franchise is really on the pathway to something special. They really need to lock into a top two pick right now. Um, and maybe I feel differently in a couple months, but I don't think that Jalen Johnson projects as anything more at his ceiling than, hey, that's a very solid starter who really unlocks this offense. Um, but, you know, uh, it, at some point in the draft, if the, if the Kings kind of rebound and stabilize as some real true 500 team and they're picking 13th or something, then – uh, you know, Jalen Johnson makes a specific a certain amount of sense. Um, but if they continue to struggle and they end up with a top five pick, and I mean, if you put a gun to my head right now and said, "Are the Kings going to be closer to the fifth pick or closer to the thirteenth pick?" I would say the fifth pick. Um, I don't know that Jalen Johnson will be in that range, but uh, I definitely, if there's anything to take out of this, I don't want anybody to try to use his dupe decision to try and and analyze him as a basketball player. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I get the impression there's going to be like five to seven guys. There's obviously the franchise tra- changers, but if you include them, five to seven guys that I look at, and I'm like, man, I would absolutely love to add them to the long-term core of Fox and Halliburton. Um, Johnson, where I'm at right now, is a guy that would be nice to, um, but I'm definitely not in love with the idea, and I feel like you know it would make me feel awesome moving forward. Um, but yeah, maybe, you know, P will come on here and talk us into it somehow, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I, I mean that he's a great guy to have in the draft, I would think. Um, but if we're talking a little bit later and like you're saying, the projection of the Kings right now, um, probably not someone that I'm going to find myself, uh, really advocating for too much, but we'll see. There's still a lot of, uh, games I'm going to need to watch, um, and a lot of other prospects to put them up next to yeah, it's going to be a very – as much as, you know, we all highlighted just how promising this draft could be, um, 
every one of the guys aside from the top two is going to be an evaluation challenge for a thousand reasons, uh, COVID top among them. Um, so it's going to be a long road before we really have a concrete idea of who we'd want the Kings to draft in that five to 13 range. So yeah, plenty more to come. Definitely. Um, and I think that maybe we can start mixing these in a little bit. Uh, we did Jalen Johnson, obviously, because we're done with film. No more, no additional film is going to come out with him uh, withdrawing from Duke. But I think, you know, we can start to mix these in a little bit, just little kind of mini profiles. Um, and we'll do more in-depth ones later at the end of some of these episodes, especially when uh, I can tell you I don't want to be talking and analyzing why the Sacramento Kings can't play defense over and over. Um, so yeah, I, this was a, this was a very ranty episode from both of us. <laughs> I thought it was, yeah. No, get back to Zen, Brendan. True. This yeah. is the Zen season. No, and I am fine. I'm very much enjoying the G League. I, don't, <laughs> I do not know. My life is going to change dramatically when the G League bubble ends. It's actually crazy. Um, but yeah, I'm going to keep, uh, pumping out content there, um, and Brian has content. Every, all the guys at the Kings Herald do absolutely amazing content. Definitely check out that side and support the Patreon to uh, support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Bulls podcast, by the way, I always do this generic uh, outro that people definitely don't really listen to because I say subscribe, rate, and review um, if you enjoyed. And then last episode, I actually went a little longer and was like, yeah, message me if, if you guys like this. Um, and people were like reaching out to me. So I really appreciate the guys that actually reached out to me. But listen to my outro also. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, <laughs> rate, and review. The ratings do a lot. I hate to beg, but they do a lot. If you enjoy, rate. It really matters. Um, and you will hear from Brian and I in the next couple of days here. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.